But like, like I said, if you want to like maybe in the middle talk about like your dream iteration of Forecastle, <laughs> if like a little hint like sneaks right. in, that's right. a dream lineup for yeah. Forecastle. Okay. okay. It doesn't even have to be lineup, but like that experiential. <laughs> right. Um, right. We got Bob. pretty close this year with having the Mary Miller out there and both. Just the I think my, thing. my favorite was 2014. So Jack White, Outcast, Sam Smith, and then the year before that, Black Keys. So what's the forecastle reference? Um, it's a so it's a part of a ship. Yeah, it's um, like the rear of the ship. It, it's the a it's the captain's quarters, uh, the crew's quarters of a ship. Okay. Yeah. So what's up with that? Why? I mean, I, I'm just. I, yeah. No, it's good. I mean, we can talk about that in the in the podcast. All right. All right. So yes. It's, it's kind of a long answer, but it's good. It's a good answer. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> From the eltoro.com studios. This is the El Toro podcast. Brought to you by ElToro.com, where we target people, not pixels. Welcome back to the eighth episode of the El Toro Podcast. My name is Kramer Caswell, sitting with my two favorite co-hosts, DJ Oz and David Stadler. Uh, so we like to call Austin over there a DJ, but I'm not quite sure if you'd pass the test for our guest this week. Today we're sitting with the founder and captain of the Four Castle Music Festival, J.K. McKnight. J.K., welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. <laughs> Love it. I like to try to sound like we have more than 10, 12 listeners. <laughs> that's yeah, the wild yeah, crowd. That's all the crowd, you know. Yeah. Well, what's funny is... We got the brown water flowing, so that's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like, we talk to a lot of people here in the city, and uh, everybody's got, like, different interactions about... You know, interacting with you, your family, interacting with Fort like Castle. a legend, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like legend, my, my interaction yeah. is, is a little bit different and then, you know, like Kramer's generation would be and all that kind of stuff. And then Marty has such a different, right. you know, understanding of, of, of knowing you. Marty's um, old as fuck, though. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, Marty and I'll tell that old. to his face, too. <laughs> Marty and I go way here. back. Way back. Um, but no, we really appreciate you coming out today. Um, before we kind of get into more of the nitty gritty with respect to the podcast, uh, I would like to introduce our bourbon for the day. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, we've had a couple of other glasses before now. <laughs> we've already been drinking. Um, I think the highlight to my day was the Willet Experimental Collection version one mm -hmm. uh, that we that drank good. on the front side. That was and, really good. And that was just when we were getting a little loose. And JK's like Delicious. a bourbon expert. We didn't even know this. He just came in hot, ready to go. I have a lot of history in the industry, family members in the industry. He so grew up on a, about it. on a bourbon maker's farm. Is that right? I did actually lived on Christy Brown's uh, property for, for four years. Uh, no, 2009 to 2013, so it's a pretty incredible no experience. No big deal. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All yeah, right, rented so a little cottage. What are we? Uh, what are we drinking here today? So right now we are sipping on the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked, um, and this is. I mean, you'll notice this in conjunction. Oh man, we didn't get the sound. The pop. Bad this one. This one. That. This one's like loose for some reason. Okay, that oh, whatever. That's fine. that's fine, man. When it comes to the double oaked, I mean, you can see this from a color standpoint. If this is sitting side by side and you, you didn't mm -hmm. have any label on the bottle, from Woodford Reserve to Woodford Reserve double oaked, you'd know there was a distinct difference between it. And I mean, Absolutely. you'll notice these colors. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. really dark. It's really dark. And the reason it's really dark is because it's been, it's been double barreled uh, six years in a single barrel high char low toast and then a second barrel for i believe 
uh, a year and a half or so, medium char, medium toast. Don't quote me on that, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's that's he's what taking, it is. He's taking your, uh, so that gives it that range, deep. Man. That gives it that deep color and, and those rich caramel characteristics. It's really and good. So it's yeah. a beautiful product. It's got a, it's got a beautiful flavor. label, and uh, you actually have one of the old bottles too. So that's uh, that, that's actually a little bit of a collector's item. Though those bottles went out last year. Oh, so is this last year? Yeah. We drink our collector's items here. <laughs> yeah, I would hold on to that bottle. Yeah, that, those bottles are long gone. Uh, and you're you're currently drinking something else, aren't you? I am. Uh, I'm drinking on uh, to plug one of our great Forecastle sponsors. Um, some very rare Four Roses 2014 limited edition, um, which I had to take up because I don't, I, you don't see that very often. I'm pretty sure that was the first limited edition that I ever had, and I still remember where I was and what I was doing when I had it years ago. Um, <laughs> but it's a for, yeah, it's incredible, and you know, it's a great great brand. I've worked with them for for many many years. Um, so uh, very happy you all you all had that up there. It's a, it's, it's a treat. We have a lot. There's you have a lot. Quite a few. Yeah, about ten yeah. to four hundred bottles of bourbon. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 they, and they they hid they hid the birthday bourbon. We did uh, hide the birthday from me. Bourbon. They were yeah. it was not shown, but uh, but I've heard there's a lot of birth. There's a whole vertical of birthday bourbon up there. So I want to. Old Forester, I want to get yeah, some. Yeah, it kind of has some. Well, maybe next time when you come back, uh, <laughs> we can sample a little bit more. Yeah, maybe, love it, love maybe it. Maybe leading up to one of the foundation events, maybe yep. leading up to yep. Forecastle, if mm-hmm. you are able to find the time before you begin yep. to host 80,000 people on our front lawn. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it is kind of yep. in the front lawn, isn't it? <laughs> yep. I mean, dude, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you, it's you, right out your front door. You left, right, you know, it's right there. It is. Uh, two years ago when we first moved in here, um, there was a crazy rainstorm out at Forecastle, and yep. a lot of my buddies who were attending, you know, I'm sitting here at work just crunching <laughs> through everything. Like, right. hey, Forecastle has been evacuated. Right. We need a place to lay low for a while. Can we hang out at the office? And all of a sudden, I have 20 hippies hanging out <laughs> in the lobby, and it's like, all right, y'all, yeah. grab a handle. Can we hang busy. out in your bourbon lodge <laughs> it's for awesome, a man. couple hours? last yeah. year, don't tell anybody this, but I, I was on the roof, and I got to listen to Cage Elephant. It was oh great. My God. Wow. Sorry. Cheated you out of a chicken ticket, but man, eavesdropping. <laughs> I think he could retroactively bill you. <laughs> I, I think so too. I think but so Forecastle is more than the music, though, right? It's true. It, you know, it, it's um, it's music art activism. That's what it was founded on. That's that's what we. Uh, I spent, I think, a brutal three years fighting the federal government uh, to get the rights <laughs> over that when I was in my twenties. Um, but no, it, it's a, it is, it's a party with a purpose and, and it's, it's always been you know, about more than just music for the people. Cause we have a lot of different people that are listening outside of Louisville. Can you kind right. of explain what Forecastle is? It, yeah. I, mean, I mean, most people know it's a music festival. Do but we want to start with the name? You asked me that earlier. Forecastle oh, Music name? Festival. Yeah. Not well, people. I mean, we, we can do like an official bio <laughs> or intro if you want. Let's see that. Yeah. I mean, got to Ladies and gentlemen. So J.K. McKnight, he is first a musician. He is an activist. He's an entrepreneur. Um, I found out today through reading a little bit, he is also a brewer, which we will get into later as to mm-hmm. how the fact that he came into our office and didn't bring some beer. Oh. Um, that's okay, though. We'll let it slide this time. Um, he is the, I mean, I guess most prominently, you are the founder of the Forecastle Music Festival. Um, this festival, you know, it's, it was founded in 2002. It was originally hosted at Tyler Park. It has progressed from moving from Tyler Park to Cherokee Park, to the Belvedere, to mm-hmm. now an 85-acre parcel on Waterfront Park. Mm-hmm. It is estimated that this festival contributes $20 million annually to the city's local economy. 
McKnight is passionate about the environment. Through the festival, he also promotes sustainability with his solar and wind-powered stage lights. His T-shirts are made from recycled plastic bottles. Um, JK also founded a nonprofit organization called the Forecastle Foundation. Uh, this was organized in 2010 to support work to rehabilitate and preserve endangered and ecologically diverse locations from the Green River all the way down to Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that's a pretty impressive resume. I think what's... You know, I, I'd like to kind of understand a little bit of the origins of the name here. Yep. Um, so I was asking you about Foxel, yep. um, and how. Go for it. Yeah. So here's here's the crazy connection here. I came up with the name of the festival in your old your old office. <laughs> in Distiller Commons. <laughs> Nobody knows that until right now. <laughs> That's awesome. I did, and I still remember the day that I did it. You know, so I, I had a studio at the bottom of this this old whiskey distillery in, in Louisville that's that's since been converted into commercial office space. And so, you know, my dad founded the first internet marketing company in Louisville back in back in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I would work in my studio. Um, uh, during the day while everyone you know was working upstairs and then at night when everybody left I would go up to the to your old space to my dad's space uh, and I would work on um, you know teaching myself every little thing about about marketing from you know Photoshop to coding mm -hmm. my own site to um, I guess that was even earlier before social media even came in but um, just tell you know all DIY just teaching myself everything uh, that I could and uh, I had to come up with a name for the festival, um, and it was so small at that time. It was only you know forty or fifty people, five hundred dollar kind of shoestring budget. Um, it, it was nothing more than really a, a gathering of local musicians, and um, you know I had all these crazy names on there. But I, I was I was trying to kind of you know tie into my own uh, Aquarian uh, <laughs> nature. I'm a lover of, of all things water. <laughs> yeah. And in the festival, you see you see that you know from far distance. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I was, I was thinking about that and, uh, the, sh a ship, you know, I, I love boats. I love, I love inshore fishing. Those are huge passions of mine. Um, so, you know, the ship became my metaphor, you know, or my motif, I guess I was like for my brand. So I was like, okay, I, I want, I want the, I want, I need a, I need a central image, you know, just like you all have a central image for El Toro. I needed a, a real strong, bold image. So I wrote out, you know, exactly what that was the verbiage of what that would be. And mm -hmm. then, you know, the ship kind of became that. And I was like, okay, so if you're on the ship, where's the place where people come together to relax after working yeah. hard above deck all day to drink some brown water and <laughs> communicate. And, uh, you know, as John Lennon says, you know, life's, you know, what happens in between planning things. So where's the place in the ship that people go in between planning things? And it was the folksle. Yeah. Um, so that's how I came up with the name. Um, and I'm really lucky that I, I picked that name because the other names were absolutely horrible. And I looked at it again like 10 years later, and I was like, oh, my God, thank God I did not pick, like, B, C, D, E, or F because it, it just never would have gone Give, give us some examples of that <laughs> oh, man, there so was, we can there's, picture there's it. There's, like, some, like, Japanese name that I came up with. Um, I, I can't pronounce it, but it was just not good. <laughs> That's perfect um, for a brand. Yeah, it was just not good. It. All of it was really bad except for that one. So I'm real. you know, I was 20 years old at the time, so it's lucky um, I picked that one. But uh, 
but yeah, that became the name, and it's it, it's it's funny because you know I know what it is, and anyone with a maritime background knows what it is. Mm-hmm. But the whole rest of the world, as I found out, has no clue what it is. Yeah, I had no it, idea what it was. Yeah, and so it's I not even it cool you know. Name. So it is called Folksal. That is the traditional name, but I would just call it Forecastle because it seemed easier to say. But we would do these, you know, in the early days, you know, we do this radio advertising, and uh, people would call the DJ all pissed off because, like, they're saying the name wrong (laughs) over and over and over again. And I would get these calls all the time from these radio stations that we had these media buys with, and they'd just be like, you know, like some guy on the other line who has a naval background would just be chewing him out. They'd just stop <laughs> saying, you're an idiot, stop saying the wrong thing. They'd call me like, are we saying the wrong thing? It's like, no, you're both right. You know? So it's like, it's funny. That's hilarious. Hey, Everybody can JK, be right here. Mm-hmm. if we could go a little bit on a tangent, could you're really big into entrepreneurship scene. Absolutely. I mean, marketing is based on a, a mm-hmm. go-getter kind of attitude. Can you speak a little bit about when you actually put that pencil or pen to a paper, you know, what does that do for you when you actually put something down so you can see it? Because a lot of people are afraid to take that step and actually, whether it's making a business plan or going the, the lean launch way and actually mm-hmm. putting pen to paper, what does that do for you? Well, for me, it's huge. Um, I've actually been working on a book for three or four years. There's an El Toro exclusive right Ooh, there. Um, he's got a book coming out. Uh, El Toro exclusive. There you go. It'll That's be right. coming out at some point. Um but, um, yeah, I mean, writing to me is everything. I mean, I, I had an English teacher when I was at St. X, and I was a senior year, and I'll never forget him. His name was Mr. Crow. And the first day in class, he said, you know, 92% of you will not get an A in this class. And he was the most hardcore teacher I ever had. He would he, he would go through, like, your papers, and if you had one um, – word in there that was um you know that that was not necessary necessary to use he would rip up your paper and wouldn't even look at the rest of it uh needless to say i aced that class (laughs) and uh and and to this day i still use everything he taught me um to this day and i writing is something i'm i'm very passionate about as well and um so for me everything starts with that everything starts with me Mm -hmm. with getting it on paper and um, you know, I love writing branding plans and, and, uh, and working on marketing and messaging and, and that whole world to me, it's just very natural for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this is like, this is my first time meeting you. So it's really cool to have you in the office and we like to try and bring in unique people who have a perspective in advertising kind of this space we're in. Word. And I would definitely say you did a pretty good job at advertising for <laughs> Forecastle. Yeah. To turn into what it With is. With no today. money for years and years. So, so what was it that that really prompted you to start a music festival? Other than being a musician. Well, it, it was really that. Um it was you know, today I like, you know, design these like strategy canvases for for, you know, so many whenever it's um, you know, we're, we're looking at, okay, where we're now, where are we looking to get, how do we get there? And uh, at that point, when I was a musician in my late teens, early 20s, I mean, I was trying to get a bigger audience, I was trying to perform more. And so a festival just seemed like a natural way to do that. So the first festival really was, you know, probably nothing more than just a a part of that small, you know, that at the time, um, strategy canvas, um, you know, to, to get to where I wanted to be. Uh, and also, I had lived away. I'd, I'd gone to college in, in South Carolina in Charleston, and I, I, I really felt super disconnected when I moved back. And um, and I just wanted something that brought the community together, mm-hmm. uh, and just brought more like-minded people together. I just didn't see anything else uh, here that was doing that. And um, you know, I felt a, a festival, and, and 
you know, the infrastructure here, the built environment with the Olmstead Park, the most famous park system in America, with that being here. Oh, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, and being literally like half a block from my parents' house. I, was, <laughs> I think I was living in the basement at the time. <laughs> you know, it just seemed like a very low-cost, uh, high-impact initiative if I, you know, put my entrepreneurship hat on right now. Yeah. Um, so I did it, and it was it was super small, and, and there was nothing, you know, out of it that you would have, you know, from the outside looking in would have said, you know, this, this has massive potential. Mm -hmm. Let's scale it. You know, it, it was just, um, it just had a great, you know, vibe. Like the atmosphere yeah. was amazing. And it was, I got out of it and I was like, okay, like let's do it again next year, but let's maybe take it to a little bit of a next level next year. And then the year after let's take it to a little bit higher level. And the whole growth has been like that. It, it's definitely, it's the opposite of, of what has happened today where you just have, um, you know, it's like festivals are such a big money business now. Yeah, People yeah. just kind of come into markets and just throw a bunch of money down. And uh, back then there really weren't any fest. I mean, there was not, mm -hmm. you know, my contemporaries, you know, Bonnaroo, uh, Coachella, uh, ACL. I mean, you know, all these festivals started in that 1999 to 2002 era. Um, and there just wasn't really anything else there, you know, so I think we all were kind of doing our own thing, um, and, and doing it just out of passion. I mean, that, that's really, yeah. there was no monetary reason for any of our <laughs> festivals. I mean, look how much money Coachella lost its first couple of years. I mean, there was no monetary reason for any of us that were in that space at the time to be doing what we were doing other than the fact that we just loved what we were doing yeah and that's that really became the the spirit of of forecastle i wanted to eventually ask you about sponsors but i think a better question would be how did you get artists to perform initially and like were they just local artists because yeah it was, i was kind of young i was very young when the first ones kind of started we, we all were yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did, uh, yeah um yeah, it was um, the first couple years w was was completely local. In fact, you know, we started in two thousand two. I don't think we we really got our first regional artist until two thousand five, uh, and then two thousand six became a huge uh, year that kind of catapulted the the brand forward uh, really heavily. We, uh, you know, it was a, a classic um, risk versus reward mm -hmm. kind of uh, experience in entrepreneurship where. You know, um, we had to decide a headliner, and there was there was two options that of artists that were routing through here, and it, one was Sleater Kinney, uh, and the other was Yo Latango, and I, I sat down with the uh, you know my buddy Billy Hardison here, who's been in the scene forever, really helped craft the scene, and um, I'll never forget talking to him, and I was like, you know, what what do we do? Like, you know, this business, I don't know it, and he was like, well, you know, here's the thing, it's like. You know, Yola Tango plays here every year. We book them. I could tell you exactly how many tickets are going to sell. People love them here. They're great. Um, you know, it's it. That's that. You know, the money. You put the money on there. If it was my money, I'd spend it this way. And the other option was a lot riskier, but it, but the reward was potentially a lot higher. And it was like Sleater Kenny. You know, they've never played here. Yeah. But they get tons of national press, and you know they're amazing. It's all female punk rock band from Seattle or Portland. Just got back from Seattle, um, and uh, you know, so you decide, and uh, and immediately just I was like Slater Kenny, like it was just jumped in my head. Didn't know why. It had made no financial sense to do it, but I did it. And um, uh, about five weeks before the festival, um, I was on MySpace or MySpace Ooh. account. Ooh. Yeah, that's how long this goes back, and. Um, you know, suddenly there was like tons of comments like all over my board, like, we're coming in from Portland, we're coming in from Texas, wow. we're coming. And I'm like, what <laughs> nice. the hell is going on? 
and I get online and find out that um, the 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 band was breaking up, and this was like one of the last dates they oh, ever wow. played like together. Tour. Wow. Yeah, it was a farewell tour, um, and <laughs> we sold thousands of tickets overnight. National media flew in, and Spin Magazine came. It was, it was amazing. That's and we, crazy. And we were That's at, super cool. Yeah, we were at Melwood Arts Center that year, um, the only year we were ever there. Um, which was it was a, we did the first festival there, and it was a really bizarre kind of space that it was you know half kind of industrial, half green space, um, and uh, yeah, everyone flew in and wrote these great articles about it, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that was really a big launching pad for us. That's awesome. Yeah. So to go back, okay, so you, you got the musicians. Now how what did, how did you get sponsors? How did that? How's that process kind of work for? For yeah, people that don't absolutely yeah. when you're getting well, off the yeah especially yeah when you got five hundred dollars it was huge it was huge because we had you know we, we had no banks no investors no family money no seed money no a round no b round c round none of that stuff existed um, nobody really again this was a new space and I know it's hard to fathom that today but it was a new space back then and um, and no one would really touch it. And, you know, it seemed very risky to do so. Um, so I, I had to figure out how to creatively finance this thing. And it was growing two to three times every mm-hmm. single year. So the expenses were going up really fast. Um, so I actually I had drinks at El Mundo uh, with my mom mm-hmm. uh, one night. <laughs> That's how all great stories <laughs> That's start. That's how all great stories start. start. El Mundo and, with my mom. And my mom. And, you know, my mom's mm-hmm. been in sponsorship development for 30 years. Um is is incredible at it and i literally we just had drinks one night and i just i learned everything i could learn in that two hours that we had there from her and literally like that week you know i probably the next day i kind of hit the ground running and was went to every knocked on every door on bartstown road uh, which is kind of our cultural you know epicenter street and um uh, sure enough, I, I knocked on the door of Guitar Emporium, who had known me for years because I'd taken lessons there, knew everyone. Uh, they took me out for coffee, and I, I gave them the vision of what I wanted to do, and they wrote me a check. And then I went across the street to um, Lynn at Leatherhead, and she loved the idea and said, not only am I going to give you the same amount that Guitar Emporium's given you, but I'm going to call up every single small business on this That's entire awesome. block, and I'm going to make them do the same. Uh, and she did. Um, so that was that was huge. So there was a big kind of small business, uh, independent business segment that was supporting it. They saw the need for it. Um, and then on a larger corporate side, um, I got really lucky. And, and um, this guy, Juan Lopez, who, who's now the GM of Red Bull uh, for you know a ton of Midwest, Western states, um, was running culture here for Red Bull in Louisville. Mm-hmm. And um, we got hooked up. Uh, our dads used to do advertising together, worked at, at uh, different firms, but worked together. And, um, you know, we hit it off and <clears throat> we, we, you know, they, they committed, um, you know, uh, to, to partnering with us. Uh, Mary Cecil, who is the rep here, I still remember sitting on top of a hill overlooking the festival site yeah, and, <laughs> and giving my pitch of money that I needed more than anything at that time. Uh, and they came on, and then Patagonia came on through Quest Outdoors. And um, and then, you know, 4th Street, 4th uh, Street Live had just gotten here, and they were looking for something local and community-centric to support. So they put in the last piece of money that we needed. Um, I think it was through Maker's Mark, because Maker's Mark had a... Had a um, Remember that Maker's Mark had a uh, 
outpost there on 4th Street Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we agreed to do our after parties at Maker's oh, Mark cool. in exchange. Uh, Cordish and 4th Street uh, gave us Alice Bill. So that's really how the first uh, <laughs> kind of funding came about. And then it really just grew from there. Um, Brown Foreman um, got got heavily involved. Um, thank God, needed that a lot. Yeah. You know, uh, brands like Southern Comfort and, and Tuaka and... Um, uh, I mean, a, a ton of a ton of different brands we, we've worked with over the years, but they, um, yeah, they got they got involved in it. So just kind of scaled from there. So when you went from those sponsorship, and it's interesting that you know this is kind of the 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 carryover point to where I kind of interacted with you because I worked for Mary Cecil at the time with Red Bull. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. I was, Small I was, world. Uh, early two thousands. Small uh, world. I got hired wow. on by uh, Jen and Mary uh, to work that team. So before then. Um, I had actually, I, I remember going to Fort Castle in like 2003. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't even remember what I paid to go at that time, even if I did pay. Sorry, I might have stuck right. into your contract. <laughs> hey, I um, guarantee Stadler yeah. doesn't remember much from that year. <laughs> right. I mean, college right. was a big blur for me, sure. but I had a good time right. and I was successful. Uh, maybe? And I, and I, <laughs> I just realized, let me correct myself, it was, it was, it was Donna Guardo, I think, was the brown foreman tequila. I had to get that. Sorry. I got to get my sponsors uh, right. Yeah, yeah, you de- definitely have I to name it. Yeah, I almost yeah, slipped there definitely. on something else. So. I, anyway, so, go ahead. But, I mean, what was, what was like, the major difference between those initial phase sponsors? Because, you know, you talk about all these businesses and whatnot. And, and, first of all, I'd like to plug Leatherhead because they make awesome gear. Yeah, amazing. That dude, I, I think he's got a couple of patents on different styles yeah, of gu- guitar straps. Really? Yeah. I think it was, like, Led Zeppelin. And, and don't quote me on this, but I think he did, like, Led Zeppelin's mm-hmm. guitar straps. Like a Absolutely. Lot of really wow. Big Ryan Adams, bands. yeah. Um, I mean, he's got pictures with uh, it's yep. phenomenal. Uh, but how does that process evolve more? So, I mean, obviously, you're getting more traction as these years progress. People right. are becoming hot on Forecastle, right? And they're digging it because it's still a local thing. But you're growing up, you're moving through more or less your teen years at this point as Correct. an organization into Correct. your senior time. Yeah. And how does the process for procuring sponsorship as you turn from you know, a, an establishment that we're probably able to use the local bathrooms in the park at Tyler Park. <laughs> right, to absolutely. one that needs, you know, 10 Gs. Yeah, to put down millions of dollars of, of infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was um, you know, it, it, it was a struggle without a doubt. Um, you know, I was kind of a one-man operation for um, uh, how long? Eight, eight years, I think. Um, and definitely those last three years at the Belvedere were, were definitely the hardest. We were in a 10,000-person venue, you know, again, coming from doing 50-person festival to 10,000 a day was quite a leap. And, and to be one person handling every department, I mean, there's over 50 different departments at the festival now, um, you know, to do, be doing, having, wearing all those hats w- was incredibly challenging. So, um it was it was tough, and and I, I was able to delegate some of the bigger responsibilities. I mean, production simple, um, you know, came on as a local promotional partner to help book the artists and help with the production side of it, so I could work on sponsorship and marketing and uh, site management and and all those kind of things. Um, but but the, you know, there's there was no there's no simple way about it. It was just it was very difficult, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs um, that I get to work with and, and advise now, um, you know. That's where a lot of them fit. That's where a lot of them bail. Yeah, you know, it's it really is. It's that's when when it gets really really hard, um, like that is when a lot of them you know can't take it. And and I, and I got to that breaking point um, uh, on multiple occasions, and I was I was just I was very fortunate that at every occasion, 
an opportunity just kind of you know a, a door opened mm-hmm. that wasn't there and, and i and i'm thankful for those doors because it would probably be here right now if some of those didn't come open you ended up partnering with ac entertainment yeah. and now live nation by association so yep. you know we went from phase one where you're a startup more or less phase yep. two to where you're kind of getting i mean it's getting big at this yep. time and then ac entertainment comes in you partner with them and yep. now live nation yep. does the face of the sponsorship or does the process for that sponsorship change when you have you know this partnership with these other you know more or less large organizations i've worked with live nation in the past right and um that's quite the machine um, does the yeah. face of the local, I mean, you have a very local nature here. I mean, it's right. um, a lot of local support when you get with those national and I don't know if Live Nation is an international brand, oh, yeah. um, but does, does, does your requirement for procuring sponsorship change um, based on that affiliation? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer is uh, yes, had we partnered with the wrong company, because uh, I've seen it, you know, I've, I have done that before. Uh, and seeing what you know exactly what that can look like, um, but I got lucky. You know, I I met um, Ashley Caps, uh, the AC of AC Entertainment, uh, through a, through a guy named Bobby Burke, uh, who now works for Bullet uh, Bourbon here. Um, an amazing individual. Um, and I knew, you know, in that first meeting with them, you know, I kind of piled in like family members and friends and, and kind of like sweat equity stakeholders <laughs> into a van and drove down to Knoxville where the headquarters were and just kind of poured my heart out. You know, I, I just got out of a, a partnership that, that did not work. That was very much like what you said of, of working with the company that just didn't get my vision. And um, I'm not talking about Product Silver, but a larger company. And, um, I really wanted to work with someone who just got it. You know, I didn't have to explain it, but just completely got it. Uh, and they did. And I knew that going in because I knew about Bonnaroo and I knew the other, you know, I think at that time AC was doing Moog Fest, mm-hmm. you know, in Asheville, which was incredibly innovative festival and big years and all these incredible boutique events. So I just knew that they would understand it and, and they did right away. Um, and that took an incredible amount of pressure off me. And then, you know, that was one of the smartest business decisions I ever made because immediately when I partnered with them, you know, I could suddenly, you know, I, well, I spent about, it's like I spent about two years kind of still managing, I think like 19 departments in 2013, but slowly but surely, uh, you know, I started letting go of those departments mm-hmm. and, and realizing that I could trust the team to take those on and, and not, and do an even better job than I could ever do myself, you know? And that's one of the greatest feelings uh, that an entrepreneur can have that most entrepreneurs never get to that point. They're so scared. I've seen so many companies fail because they're scared of delegating and they're scared of giving up control of their vision and and all that kind of stuff. But for me, but for me, it was, it was one of the most rewarding experiences in my life because they've been able to take the, the festival way beyond I ever imagined it. And, and this year was proof of that. I mean, walking around, you know, we, had, we had our biggest Saturday that we've ever had in the history of, of the festival. I mean, it broke all the sales records. And, you know, walking around and, like, seeing the boats out on the river and people going up on the Mary Miller steamboat and these, you know, all these different experiences that we built in there that all center around that core music art activism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mark the ip for us i mean it's you know seeing that and seeing the authenticity that you know the same atmosphere and vibe that i talked about earlier with that first festival to see that just kind of you know 
pumped up on yeah. a major national, international scale uh, was such an incredible experience. Yeah. Uh, and that never would have got there had I not made the decision uh, to give up some control and, and to partner with them. Um, you know, so that was that was incredibly rewarding for me uh, and has been to, to be able to see that. And, and yeah, over time you give up uh, control and, and you, but y- you delegate, you know, you delegate and as long as you trust the people that you're delegating to, um, you know, you can get to it a really incredible spot like I've been able to get to, but it, it takes a long time to get there. Well, I mean, it's that knowledge transfer, you know, as a business owner myself, I, I find I'm, I'm a control freak and I mean, yeah. I, my business partners are control second freaks that. as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it, 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 I, I think that is the most difficult aspect about owning a business is to be it finally, you know, letting yourself know that I don't have the time to run that task anymore. Correct. If I do not delegate this task and properly train somebody to fill that function, we will fail. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But most, scary, but that's where most dude. entrepreneurs fail. You know, at least the ones that I work with and, and I consult, mentor. Um, that's 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 what happens, and it's um, you know, it, it's a leap of faith. It's it's like that. You know, I was watching uh, was it Indian and Jones. Uh, uh, is it the second one or third one? But he's, you know, it's a, towards the end of the movie, and like he has to like take that jump into like the. Um, he's going to get the uh, what is it? Oh, is the, that the, like, holy, cro- the holy grail? Is that the temple of doom? Yeah, temple of doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah and he's right. got to get that like the he's cross jump, jump oh, to save his dad, oh, or else. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh wait, no, that yeah. was temple of doom. That wasn't yeah. uh, Raiders yeah. of the Lost. But no, uh, but he has to. You know what I'm saying? Like he he, saying, yeah. he has to like take that leap into <laughs> into thin air, and if he doesn't have faith, he's gonna fall and die, and and he does it, and and it's very you know that's a really good image because that's very much. It's a good metaphor because that, that's that's what it's like, you yeah, know? Yeah, And yeah. I remember that, and it was it's not easy, and it wasn't easy for me. Um, but at the end, looking back on it now, you know, it's definitely the right decision. So you're whipping the van down to Knoxville, man. I mean, yeah. and this is a little <laughs> little tidbit, and I'm, I'm, we're probably going over here, but screw the time. No, we're good. <laughs> um, and then I got I got one more question. This is we'll this cut. is one of the things. Like this is how I knew that Forecastle existed yeah. in 2003 was the Previa. <laughs> um, so JK was wheeling about town in this Toyota Previa, and yep. I don't even remember what year it was from, but he had yep. four castles spray painted down the side. Yep. Dude's cruising behind the wheel, Afro windows rolled back. Yep. And I'm like, man, I could hang out with that cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and I right. was, we need to figure out what Forecastle is, y'all. Right. And uh, we go down to the concert. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. We had a fantastic time. But a question I'm sure most of the local listeners will want to know. Mm-hmm. Where the hell's the Previa, man? And why aren't you still driving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the Previa, the Previa um, I think it it, uh, it 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 left the earth in uh, 2009, God I want to say, 2010. God yeah, I, um, <laughs> I had to get rid of it. My wife refused to get into it. So that was, that was you know, the windshield wipers didn't work. They hadn't worked in two years or so. I used to drive to, you know, Cincinnati and Knoxville and all over the place, and I just, I just pour rain. a bunch of rain all over it. <laughs> um, you know, the muffler was probably hanging off. Like, it was, <laughs> the interior was totally corroded. But, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, the frame was good, you know. So I got I got <laughs> this guy, uh, Braylon Stewart, this artisan town, you know, went and spray painted it, and that was my first kind of big piece of, marketing there um and uh yeah I th- so I, I did um i'm being a little dramatic i, I donated it to uh we, we got this guy who who's like the best street teamer for us and he just kicks ass and he, 
you know, he, he's always running around town putting up posters and everything. Uh, his name's Clay, and, and he um, he loved it. You know, he thought it was the greatest thing ever, so I just <laughs> gave it to him. Uh, awesome. And I remember, like, towing it over to southern Indiana, and I like, had to lie to the uh, AAA guy and just tell him, like, it had broken down. Because I, li <laughs> I lived on Christie's <laughs> property there. on this field on River Road, and I had to, like, you know, take it over there. Like, like, you sure you want to dump it up just in this random parking lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, come, <laughs> like, come, my mechanic's going to come fix it right here. You know, he's right down the street. That's and he just dumped it there, and, yeah, he picked it up. And uh, and I haven't seen it since, so you'd have to ask Clay what, what happened to it. All right, we got to find Clay. That's, we got to find Clay. I you realize this is going to be, like, the, the Papa John story where he tries to find his Camaro from, like, 19... I read that we're story. Gonna, yeah, we're going to yeah, find I read that story a couple weeks ago, yeah. You're going to end up paying, like, a quarter of a million dollars for Previa. I... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, totally. People of Louisville, we have <laughs> yeah. to find the Previa. <laughs> that find is our goal yeah. for next yeah. forecastle. You can yeah. email me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So before we head out, well, I'll speak from personal personal experience. So when your muffler starts to fall off, <laughs> it only makes your ride cooler because then yeah, you got sparks you go. coming oh, out the box. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. man, right, 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 right. Right. nothing right. cooler right. than that. <laughs> so we've tried to get like maybe some dream iterations of uh, your your dream forecastle, or maybe like the next one. What you yeah. know, with some hints. You're yeah. pretty locked down on that. So we're gonna have to right. pivot a little bit and go to. Uh, brainstorming so when you're coming up with these crazy ideas for your experiential marketing at, at forecastle mm -hmm. what is your your brainstorming technique are, are you just throwing anything on a board and being a, a yes man like how can we do this or are you bringing out the murder board and just shooting it down <laughs> you know how does that work no, in the mind of jk it, it's not nearly that formal um it just you know i'll be like cutting the grass or something and it'll just like come to me which is or i'll be in the bathroom i get a lot of great we're gonna have shower. to edit this out guys yeah I mean, you can't talk about this <laughs> painting yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's really you know, a lot of you know it's just it's funny i was in um pearl jam studio uh, a couple weeks ago we we're friends with a lot of those guys and um, and someone there told you know, we someone told, told me like you know a lot of the great ideas they come right from this bathroom right here, this <laughs> toilet right here. Yeah, I was hilarious. in Muscle you know? Shoals <laughs> recording studio, <laughs> yeah. save it up and for that's that where White Horses was written. There you go. But there you go. I mean, it's just it's it's. I mean, to be to be you know not to one. not to be humorous, but uh, you know a lot of them. Um, you know a lot of great ideas for me, and, and I have hundreds of different entrepreneurial ideas across tons of industries. I just haven't got to them yet. <laughs> um, but a lot of them come to me, honestly, when I take that step away. Yeah. You know, when I take that moment away is when they, they come to me. And so, you know, as far as Forecastle Experiential, um, you know, our, our biggest, you know, most um, in the contemporary area now success has definitely been our, our Bourbon Lodge. I mean, we have a, you know, largest experiential bourbon activation in the country. It's over 15,000 square feet. It started in a tiny 30 by 30 tent. Um, I wish I could tell you I came up with the idea, but actually we, we uh, <laughs> I think we stole it from, uh, or my, my counterpart, Jeff Cuellar, took it from our, our partners at, at Outside Lands who um, did this incredible wine activation. Yeah. And Jeff's like, well, why the F aren't we doing this with bourbon? <laughs> so he's like, JK, here's the idea. You execute it. And, and that's what I did. And um you know, now it's over fifteen thousand square feet. It's like every wow. you know bourbon company in the state, and I know where I'll be next year. Culinary yeah, components and a rarities bar that's you know no other festival in the country has, and uh, all these amazing experiential educational uh, components that that are just incredible and drives it drives interest and drives people from all over and uh, and that's really what it's what it's about. I mean, I've always been about experiential marketing since day one, even before it was a term. 
Um, it's just, you know, I guess, being a, I guess, one of the older millennials now. It was, it was just something that I gravitated to from a very early age, and, and then over the years, you know, more and more brands started getting into that space. Um, but to me, it's still the heart and soul of, of what we do. Yeah, you know, we've built so many incredible experiences on site. My sister. Um, Mo created the Party Cove at Fort Castle, which again, like everything else, grew from a tiny like boat we had on site with a bunch of mermaids hanging off the side yeah, of it. The Party Cove. Now, it. now it's I mean, geez, there's like five thousand kids in front of that with national DJs stopping by and hey, people. Hey man, you're dating yourself if you call them kids. <laughs> five thousand kids. I'm kids. I'm one of those kids. Yeah, I'm one of the them. next generation. Next, yeah, uh, Gen Z. What's yeah, it? that's that's awesome because you know when Forecastle's in Louisville, everybody's excited. And I, I always say, you, you know, Derby is probably the most excited the city is, and then right next to it is Forecastle. I'd the say the whole 100%. city is yeah. just sure. Plus, you got you got people in the streets trying to sell you acid, so that's <laughs> also when you know it's coming. Right, right. Allegedly, cool. I've never <laughs> been allegedly, allegedly. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's probably just strips of paper. All right, <laughs> so tell us about this top secret launch. All right, go. Nah, you can't, you can't put them on the spot like that. Who's the headliner for Forecastle next year? <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll, I'll give you a little preview. I'm Ooh. not gonna say everything, but other, so I, you know, I have um, you know over the years been asked more and more and more to to advise and to mentor uh, entrepreneurs. I mean, all over the country, um, and, and specifically regarding a lot of things we've talked about about experiential marketing and partnerships and fundraising and, and all these things. So. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I am going to be formalizing something uh, along those lines, um, which is going to be pretty incredible and, and very rewarding for me because, you know, at this stage of my career, I, I do feel the most value when, when I can help uh, another entrepreneur who, mm -hmm. who maybe is where I was 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, it, it's an incredible experience when you get to do that and you get to see that entrepreneur you know, it's like climbing a mountain, like get that big foothold, you know, yeah. that gets them to that next spot. And I've, I've just done so many things, you know, both in the for-profit sector and nonprofit sector, the public sector, the, the private sector, um, th that it just, you know, it dawned on me a couple years ago that I have a lot to, to, to offer and, and give, uh, beyond the festival space. And, uh, and thank God, you know, we have such incredible, uh, partners with, you know, AC Entertainment and, and Live Nation that, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of step away and and, um, uh, and and do some of these other things because to me, it, as I get older, I, it's it's all a process of giving back and wanting to see that next generation uh, learn from what I've learned the hard way, uh, so they don't make the same mistakes that I made, mm -hmm. and, and ultimately, you you know, you want to see them succeed. So. Um, be announcing more about that later, but that's definitely uh, where my head's at today. JK what? McKnight exclusive. Where, where should <laughs> oh. they look before we close it down, Cameron, <laughs> with his outro? Uh, where should they look for that at? You know, where are these announcements going to be made? Look for billboards all over town. <laughs> there we go. No, it's going to be low key. Look I'm for not display ad served yeah. by Outworld.com. <laughs> <Yeah, sir. laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, yeah. JK, thank you so much for coming in. It was awesome hearing everything we all love forecastles so it's cool hearing the story and everything yeah. so next week we will be here with sour mash tours sour mash tours awesome. Awesome. real Ooh. deep with the bourbon dylan are you meeting with dylan no we're not having dylan and we're okay. having andy in next week okay. i gotta get dylan dylan's a good friend of mine too. i love great, dylan's great a, he's a friend of mine from Quite a way back, but uh, Dylan used to work for me a little bit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think everyone used to work for Forecastle at some point, <laughs> Man, and he was one crazy. of them. He's a great that's guy. Awesome. Well, no, the, the funny thing is, Andy and Dylan speak so highly 
of the bourbon at Forecastle and yep. the tent at Forecastle right. for bourbon. Um, and I, I remember Andy was talking to me about it last year, um, about how the massive, I mean, maybe it's just going to be a, an extension of the Forecastle plug for next week. But, well, it's um, not a tent, it's a lodge. A Get lodge. it right. <laughs> it sounds stupid when I call it a tent. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll be here with Sour Match Tours next week. We'll see you back here next Friday on the ElToro.com podcast. You've been listening to the El Toro podcast brought to you by ElToro.com, the only one-to-one, 100% cookie-free IP targeting solution. We've been getting him drunk all day trying to get this.